evening, good morning, good afternoon, g'day mates, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, family from uh, from all over, welcome, actually we don't welcome many boys and girls because you shouldn't be actually listening to this show, it is not for you. <laughs> uh, I am your host, Troy McCubbin. Thank you for joining us for another Guitar Wank podcast. We are number 95. Woohoo! 95 to go. 95 and down, I should say, and five to go. So that's really cool. Um, massive thanks. I do a lot of massive thanks. If you're going to thank someone, just massively thank them. To all the people that reached out um, from uh, our fans to, well, I fans, listeners, whatever you guys want to be called. Uh, some great emails, some great feedback on um, just everything. And it's it's just so amazing to hear from you guys and actually hear what you guys are going through and when you listen and what you like about the show, what you hate about the show. For the most part, I didn't get um, reamed <laughs> from, from you guys. I got a lot of really touching and um, deep emotional emails from our listeners and it was it was really really cool and it made me feel like wow we actually coming up to a hundred shows we actually do affect people and people really enjoy the show and they love and hate what we have to say I mean right we, we're just saying you guys are joining us on the couch some shit we say is complete crap and there might be some golden nuggets in there that you like hopefully you get a laugh and it takes you out of your reality and just you get to veg out and listen to our bullshit for you know whatever you're doing I had a lot of people I had a guy email me about you know he travels to work every day he listens to the show and it gets him through his week he loves it and he loved the intros and some other people were like dude don't need to hear your opinion and then we had another guy say, dude, it's your Guitar Wank show and uh, it's free, so say whatever the fuck you want. Kind of like that email and I really appreciate him saying that. And that's kind of true. I'll, I'll say whatever the fuck I want <laughs> until Bruce or Scott kick me in the nuts and say, dude, don't say that. Anyway, but um, I'm not even going to go with what's going on in America this week because clearly my speech the other week didn't make any difference. Not that it would, I know that. But just dumbfounded, just numb and completely dumbfounded with what's going on in this country. Ah, man, I just hope someone can stand up and stop this carnage. It's, it's, it's amazing. I know the rest of the world and a lot of Americans are just going, my God, how do we stop this? And they keep going around in circles. But anyway, we're not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fucking go on about it because what's the point? Uh, you guys know how I feel and uh, yeah, just uh, heartbreaking. Uh, so we have finally uh, we have Richard McDonald from Fender on the show. This is a really cool podcast. I had a lot. We had a lot of fun with Richard. Super interesting guy. Uh, deals uh, with everyone from The Edge and Bono to Eric Johnson to Don Was. Um, I mean, anyone big who plays a Fender, he's, he's worked with them or had connections. Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, you know, who's who? Jo uh, Paz Paisley, Brad Paisley. 
kind of cool to get the inside goss and way different than what I thought about a big company like Fender. You know, big companies like, you know, I know a lot of you guys are probably Apple guys like I am. We have studios and you get so pissed off with Apple, like, what the hell are you doing? And these big companies just seem to lose their humanity. It just becomes money, money, money. And it was, I'm not going to give too much away, but it was just really, it was refreshing because I grew up with Fender. It was Fender and Gibson. And that's all there was. And if I could have any of those guitars, life was just wonderful. <laughs> and being a guitarist, that you quickly learn that that doesn't exist. But anyway, you get a Fender or a Gibson and it's like, oh, man. So it was really cool to hear it from the horse's mouth. Uh, I'm going to stop yapping. Thank our sponsors, My Music Masterclass. Bruce has got another um, uh, sh- video coming out, which is going to be cool. I'm really excited about that. He was... He was definitely pumped, and he was gonna uh, he was gonna do some ass kicking on this new video. So I'm excited about that. Uh, who else? My music masterclass, as I said. Wire World Pro Audio Cables. Jimmy Dunlop. Uh, Deodario guitar strings. AEA ribbon microphones. They do an incredible job of making great ribbon microphones. Sennheiser microphones, of course. Um, what else? Who else? Am I missing someone? Probably not. Exotic pedals. I still need to find time to go see you guys. And, uh, yeah. And we, I, we need to do something cool for the 100th show. I'm trying to work out what that is <laughs> with five weeks to go. And, um, yeah, we're going to do at least a prize. Damn. Sponsors, this is where you come in. And you're... Um, your massive advertising that you get through Guitar Wank. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're going to uh, kick it off with Richard today. Richard McDonald from Fender. Scott and Bruce, we're all back in the uh, the hood again. So sit back, relax. Enjoy the Guitar Wank podcast number 95. If you're working out, drink some water. Just do one more lap. Do one more rep. One more... 30 minutes on the treadmill whatever you're doing if you're flying we hope you got a good seat you're not sitting next to some person that's just trying to take over all the seats or they stink man i used to take trips to russia (laughs) i don't want to piss off any russian listeners but i swear to god i used to think traveling to russia all the time i thought man if i could take deodorant to russia i would be a millionaire that was my big plan i'm going to introduce russia to deodorant Especially the men. I'm mainly focusing on, on large Russian men. There definitely was a bathing problem or a deodorant problem. And I was going to solve it. And it could have been my calling. I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to get some Russian. We do have Russian listeners. And as much as I despise your country. <laughs> now I don't despise the people. I just despise. Just despise. Thank you. Uh... Wow, I'm just trying to piss off at least someone every week. This is my goal now. I spent a lot of time in Russia, and it was, as you know, if you listen to the show, it's an interesting place. People are great, for the most part. When you're drinking vodka, you are super great, as we all are. But, um, yeah, interesting place. Anyhow, what was I talking about? Deodorant, getting it into Russia. That's my new gig. I, I really think I could maybe get on Shark Tank and take that to the next level alright but until then this is my job (laughs) charity work it is here we go number 95 guys have an amazing safe week 
please let's uh, let's be a community, stick together. And uh, I hear something for you. I need to find some guys in Los Angeles who just want to do some jamming. This is really off the cuff for me, but I need to do it. I'm I'm becoming that guy in the bedroom because I'm not gigging at the moment. I kind of figure that maybe I should put together a Wednesday night, just hang and sit around and play some acoustics or whatever. But I need to jam with some other players. So email me <laughs> if you're in North Hollywood, Los Angeles area, and maybe you want to get together and do some jamming. I need work. I need to get my shit together and stop being a... I need to... D- Preach the words that Bruce is constantly preaching. Community, community. You can't get good just sitting in your bedroom playing by yourself. And I have been completely guilty of that. So I need to start interacting with other musicians. I'm actually looking for a drummer and bass player that I could just play with and get back to actually communicating with other musicians, which this show is all about. And I'm being the biggest guilty one of not doing it. I've become this bedroom guy and it's driving me nuts and I need to get out and play. So anyway, I've got a studio. I need to jam with some guys. So let's get together. Reach out to me on guitarwank.com and maybe we can set something up and maybe I can actually step up to how Bruce is preaching and even Scott and actually talk the walk or is it walk the talk either or anyway just email me we'll get together we'll drink have some beers or I don't know you don't have to drink you can drink water alright <laughs> shut up McGovern let's get on with it uh, Richard from Fender and uh, we'll see you all next week be safe I'm a. I hate the Dodgers. I just. I'm a football guy. I'm not a. Uh, yeah. No, I'm just I like. I mean, that. I've I grew up in San Francisco. Always like San Francisco Giants, and the Dodgers always just kick our ass. Oh, you yeah. know, so yeah. it's like my two favorite teams. So you're rooting for, they, for the Astros. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. The Astros. Houston? To Houston. Yeah, yeah. You know, my two favorite teams are the Giants and whoever's playing the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a Cardinals fan of football, so that's sad. And oh yeah, oh, pathetic. Oh, Arizona. That's sadder. <laughs> that's an, an Arizona Cardinals on that's top an of Arizona it. Arizona Cardinals. That's like before even St. Louis. Yeah, right, that's you know? Kurt, Kurt. My friend Warner. is a big Cardinals fan. He loves them. Yeah, we. Uh, Rams aren't doing bad this year. We got kind of a, a yeah. team, you know. I think it's neat. Yeah, I feel I like sorry Joe. for the the Los Angeles Chargers. Do they have one fan here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, they they they're not. I, I just saw them lose the other night to. I to, watched uh, that too. Yeah, who they lose to? Oh uh, gosh. Uh, ben Rothenberg, his team. Oh, Pittsburgh. Steelers. Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, the Steelers. They beat them. Yeah, but I'm going to go to a few Rams games this season. Yeah, this is an exciting team. Yeah. Got a young, exciting yeah, quarterback. Yeah, man. I, I, I went to the last, I went to the Dolphins-Rams game last year at the Coliseum. It was really fun. Oh, that and the Dolphins great. won. Yeah. So I was like, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Welcome, Guitar Wank. Episode Bruce. number 5,722 in dog ears. Right, in dog ears. That's yeah. right. Mr. Scotty Henderson. What's up, bitch? Welcome. 
Mr. Bruce Foreman? I'm here now. <laughs> Finally, it's only taken 95 episodes. <laughs> and Richard McDonald. Hi. From Fender. Yeah. Mate, thank what? you so much for being hanging out to have you. We tried to get you last time and I screwed it up because I had to go to New York. Are you the CEO of the whole company? No, I'm not. I'm the, I'm the CPO, the chief product. Oh, okay. Yeah, chief CPO, product officer. I don't know the difference. CFO, thank you, CPO. CPO. He's in Star Wars, Star Wars. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> I've worked for five. Uh, always the bridesmaid, never the... Uh, yeah. It's all right. Okay. Now, the cool. connection was... Through Bruce, how did you guys meet each other? We have a mutual friend uh, that has a studio in Arizona called Tempest, Clark Rigsby, who works a lot in L.A. as well. Yeah. Mutual friend who introduced us, said, you guys have a similar point of view, you should hook up. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get Clark on him when he comes to town. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, so he, basically, yeah. you guys are both drug dealers. Yeah, That's the deal. Yeah, yeah, Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Kind of a regional yeah. connection thing, yeah. yeah. So do you deal I sell out of notes, Corona? he sells Tells guitars. Uh, we, we we prefer Norco. <laughs> no, Norco. <laughs> North Corona, no. Um, <laughs> I did work and live in Corona there at the uh-huh. factory and, and lived in Corona for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Spent most of my time in Scottsdale and, and uh, was part of the team that moved uh, Fender Tell back to California to the Los Angeles. Okay, location. so where is your office? Sunset and Gower. The old oh, Columbia, right Columbia Studio. Yeah, the old oh, Columbia oh, Square. Okay. They kind oh, of re vamp the whole thing oh, and that's it's really cool i didn't fantastic. know that fender had an office there please come it's the, uh-huh. all the fender product uh, teams that's, are there that's cool. and, okay yeah, artist relations yeah, there's so a lot of history in that building yeah. right like massive history there yeah huge. of course dude huge i mean that was you're talking about <laughs> the studio uh, the columbia studio yeah bob dylan yeah. barbara streisand johnny cash wow i think war of the worlds broadcast was yeah. out of there as wow. well wow. really um with tom cruise uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me yeah. he redid that. Yeah, you yeah, he did. It? No, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. redid that. It's actually a cool movie. Oh, it's all right. It's good. It's good. Just the like idea it. of it, I don't like it. I'm <laughs> sorry. a huge Tom Cruise fan. Well, he doesn't die cool in movie. the end. It's not that good, but it's pretty good. Oh, if he dies at the end, I might go see it. But That's a Spiel- Spielberg movie, isn't it? Um, I don't know. This World was, of Worlds? Yeah, this yeah. was an Orson Welles. You might be right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm still stuck on the really Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Wow, so there's a, there's a lot of history there. That's oh, it's a an big, amazing building, yeah. We, yeah. Did, we did the tour, my dad and I, we come down and Richard took us around. It was awesome, man. It was really cool. And that, it's right next to Roscoe's Chicken and Chicken waffles. Chicken waffles. <laughs> yeah. Go wrong. Do, you, do you go across? No, no. Too much. It's... You know, there is a palm reading place next door, so I thought I could eat there, then go find out how long I have to live, but <laughs> I ruled it out. Well, you pretty much know if you eat there. <laughs> <laughs> it's over pretty quick. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, Clark knew Richard from Phoenix, or okay. the yeah, Phoenix yeah. area. You yeah. know. Produced and engineered, engineered a few records that I was on back in the 80s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so anyways... Uh, if you don't mind, you, you told me the story of how you got involved in Fender and just your life, that part of it. If you, as much as you want to tell, I, w- I would love for everybody else to get a chance to hear this. Oh, well, absolutely. It's, I guess it's weird because it's not lost on me that it's kind of a w- interesting story. But uh, So I grew up being a Fender nut. I had the posters on my wall as a kid, you know, the 70s posters where it was like, send a dollar you know, from a string ad or something, we'll send you a poster. And I had a little Fender Mustang, was one of my, my first better 
better guitar. So I was always a Fender guy. Long story short, I ended up uh, working at Denny's when I graduated from high school. And the bus, uh, I was a busboy, and there was a, a dishwasher there named Walter Richardson. He and I became musical partners, and I actually, we formed a band and played together until I was about 35 years old. That's when I started at Fender. Um, I went to Fender. I, I did the band thing. It was a journeyman experience. We had three recordings. It was all independent. We toured about 300 nights a year. Wow, for how long? How long did you do that? Um, we did that schedule for yeah. about eight years. Wow. Um, beer band type of thing you know you'd see the ads and it'd be like 69 cent coronas and morningstar you know? <laughs> so, but it was a really fun band very upbeat fun fun band um, but when it was over it was over and uh, so my dad called me and I was living in Phoenix my father called me and said gosh Fenders moved an office to to Scottsdale I was my dad was had a great sense of humor, so I hung up. <laughs> I thought, what an ass, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm basically unemployed, been just out of rehab. You know, starting to get up on my own two feet, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, sure enough, it was the truth. And I, uh, I had an artist relations rep named Mark Wittenberg, and uh, he was at Fender, and I had an endorsement through Miller Beer. <laughs> God, how can I get a Miller beer endorsement? Right, That's what that. I need. You know, when you can't afford a publicist and all that stuff, and you're in that thing, they were unbelievably good. There was about twenty bands, fifteen bands, maybe. It was people like Marsha Ball and the fabulous Thunderbirds, the Del Fuegos, Morning Star, yeah, bands like that. Uh, and they. They just acted like your publicist. They we'd go back to Milwaukee, drink way too much beer first thing in the morning till yeah. night, do photo shoots, do radio and television commercials, and then before you pulled into Chicago to play at the Cubby, Cubby Bear or something, they had to run run the advertisements, they had the table tents up, you know, and all the old school marketing stuff that wow. we could have never really yeah. pulled off at our at our level. So it was great, and as part of it was, you know, I, I had a couple of thousand dollars every year at Fender that I could spend so yeah um, that's how I met the guys at Fender and I put in the application and uh, <laughs> you know your self-esteem gets a little bit jacked when you're you know kind of coming out of out of addiction and things like that and just you know the band broke up it was a great run and it was an incredible experience but at the end it was you know hard and negative and like any every every <laughs> marriage, right? Right. Yeah. I know yeah. the eighth week on the road when yeah. you just you don't speak to each other, and you know <laughs> that's all great. Anyway, uh, so I went down and applied. They had two jobs: the mailroom and the parts department. But it was called the small parts department, so it was <laughs> even more insulting. Right? It's like if your parts are small, you know, we have a place for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I applied for the job. I, um, and I didn't get either one. <laughs> and I thought, that is, that, that's just, uh, you know? <laughs> I've been playing Fender guitars professionally for years. I've been a Fender guy my whole life. And I can't get an entry-level job at a company in the mailroom mail or in the parts department. Right. And so I, I, in those days, they sent you a letter. 
Yeah. Right? Or they left you a message. But I got a letter, a rejection letter, <laughs> which always feels better, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's penetrating. And, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. oh, thanks for taking the time to write me. Yeah. And uh, I remember th- these are the times in your life when, like, the Bob... Bob Dylan, what, the mystery tramp. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. all off on you, right? Yeah. It's like, dude, look, you're working so hard at this. You know, it, you, you know, you're all cleaned up. Everything. What good is it doing? You know, you, you're making all these sacrifices. Now, it's, now I got to ask, what was what was the addiction of choice? Cocaine was, was the it? problematic yeah. thing yeah. for me. The drinking and stuff was just something to do. While, while you're up. doing cocaine, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it was you know it was just so associated with with uh, business that's, and the, that's you know scene, and right? like your way, your, what was your living? Of course, you know. I mean, we're talking about this is like a full on kick in the balls. So, I mean, like, what was your living situation like while you're going through this rejection for vendor and looking for a day gig and you're just I lived, getting some rehab? Yeah. What was that like? That was pretty interesting. I lived uh, in a friend of mine, John Collar, who's uh, passed away since then. But uh, John Collar was a buddy of mine that was just a guy that used to see the band from Milwaukee, and he converted his garage. Uh, when I say converted, he put some drywall up in his garage, and I was living in his garage at this time. So I'm divorced. I got three kids. And, you know, drugs are one thing, but decisions are another. You know, you make decisions. And, yeah. And I made a succession of really bad ones. You know, and I, I was in that frame of mind where it's so convenient to blame everybody else for all the things that are fucked up in your life, yeah. right? So I was going through that. Yeah, yeah. And living in John's uh, garage. In Phoenix? In Phoenix, in Tempe, Arizona. Was there air conditioning in this garage? Uh, no. <laughs> in Phoenix. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, if, for this story to be right, there shouldn't be. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no air conditioning. <laughs> That's Phoenix, yeah. is, well, this was before it got really hot there. It was only like 108 uh, in the summer. I think the house had EVAP, actually, which was what we had before air conditioning. And uh, wow. about, long story short, about uh, two weeks later, they called me. And they said, you know, you still... Vendor called you back? Yeah. You got a second chance? The HR department. You know, are you still available? I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> yes. Let me look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, yeah, still sitting on, the, on a mattress on the floor and I, yeah. and I got next to an oil stain, right? And, uh, but I was very grateful for the place to live. And I always, always, later... I returned the favor for, for John years later, and it felt good. Uh, they called me back. I went in. That whole day was another story because the only clothes I had were stage clothes. <laughs> so what do you, you know, you put a suit on or something when you go for a job interview, right? My, the only suit I had was this purple suit <laughs> that I looked like I dropped out of Morris Day's band or something, you know, <laughs> and, or the Joker or something. Yep. And I went there on a casual Friday. So if you're not a corporate guy, casual Friday is the day they let you wear jeans. And so I show up in a purple suit on the day when everyone's wearing, you know, <laughs> jeans to this work cool, to feel like a big idiot. <laughs> this is cool. And they gave me, uh, for me, the job in the parts department at Fender. Well, we and make sure you don't go anywhere else. Just stay in the small parts department. <laughs> One of the first things I did was lobby to get the small off of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it w- ended up being a fantastic opportunity. And when I sat down at my desk and I turned to the guy next to me, 
to ask him how to turn the computer on because I might have lied about my computer skills on my resume. <laughs> I'm like, how do you turn this thing on? Yeah, yeah. And so we started talking. And he says, well, the guy, they gave this job to some guy, but he was here for like four days or something. I'm like, well, what happened? I apparently failed his drug screening. Oh, nice. And I was like, isn't that interesting? Because the, the HR guy had asked me, dude, like on the side, can you pass, you know... <laughs> And I'm like, I'm probably the cleanest guy you know. You could take a bone marrow transplant. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm your man. Right. Uh, and so I got, ironically, I got my job because someone failed their drug screening. And uh, how long you you've been clean by that point? Oh, uh, probably eight months, six wow. eight months. Was so. that was that tough? Like like, I mean, what part? The, like the whole getting off the cocaine. And no, stuff. I had no, I had it, my life was so jacked up yeah. that it's I had absolutely lost faith in my ability to you know right. make good choices like that. So it wasn't that hard. I was yeah. I was done. The pain was much more than the pleasure. Yeah, at yeah. that point, it gets yeah. easy to easy to change when when you get to that point. Right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it was a crazy so, start. So you start. So you started the thing and and. You know, I have this friend who who ran BMI. He's like mm. he's a huge. He went beyond, way beyond that. He's you know a major guy in the publishing world right now. And uh, when he went to work, first got his first gig at BMI. It was like the mail room or something mm. like that. We're talking the forties, I think fifties. And uh, he got there, and he he realized <laughs> that like. You know, everybody there, like, there weren't a whole lot of people that knew anything about music. Mm. They were all, like, you know, they just had the business worked out, mm -hmm. you know, and they were just kind of going through the thing. And he realized that he would have a lot of upward motion mm. because he knew the business that he was, he knew music. Mm. And he knew, you know, the whole thing. I imagine you must have felt somehow that way yourself. I mean, being a, a player and knows what... I mean, you're obviously Fender sells instruments to players and to people who play. So, like being from that perspective, I imagine there's a lot of lifers in there that just kind of work a job, right? Or were at one time, or is that different? well? There's always been an interesting mix of players. The brands like Fender attract guitar people, whether they're accountants uh -huh. or, but there is you know a large percentage of people that you know weren't really like that. Yeah. What was interesting for me was I thought I knew all about Fender. Mm -hmm. And uh, I certainly had spent my life looking at it from the outside in, you know. And then when I got when I got there, I realized, you know, th the first three phone calls I got, you know, in the parts department. And we had these books like they do at Napa. Remember back in the day, you'd go to the automotive store, mm -hmm. and they'd be like, "I have a '63 Chryslers, you know, starter." <laughs> That's <laughs> right. what we had, you know, these yeah. books and all these handwritten notes that tribal tribal knowledge that people had passed down and i started getting these phone calls like yeah i'm looking for the the tone canister for my sound dimension four you know the caustic the toxic thing in the middle <laughs> it's like and you know there was a little piece of paper that said yeah this guy in canada has them you know so i'd say well you know call this guy in canada but the calls were just unbelievable that people were so passionate about keeping their products in service. Right. This was my dad's deluxe reverb. Can I get a replacement transformer for it? Um, yes, but you got to modify the chassis. You know, you're having all these kind of conversations with people, and and you and you discover the emotional um, 
uh, you know, the emotional affinity that people have for the brand is just unbe unbelievable. It's, it's shocking. Uh, and so I got a, a great appreciation for it. And then that's where all my, my experience started coming in. Uh -huh. You know, the, just, just I played in every city, so I had something in common to talk to people about where they lived or if they knew this place or that, you know. So it was easy to build relationships and friendships with, yeah. Yeah. with dealers and distributors around, around the world. And yeah, it was an incredible, incredible experience. There are some really talented, passionate people and a lot that have come and gone over the years, but left their fingerprints, you know, and, and these are, these are great guitar builders and players and designers and stuff. So it's, it's, it's just a marvelous environment for a, old guitar person yeah right yeah now how, do you, now how do you go from the mail room to where you are now I mean, he was in the parts department a <laughs> small parts department small yeah parts. The, uh jim perlman if you're still out there jim got the mailroom job i didn't i got the parts oh, right. department <laughs> uh, um that's a great question it felt like alien abductions i just got picked up one day and dropped into a new new role um i was 35 i was desperate i had a high school diploma three kids to support yeah um i made after the paycheck that i got at fender the first couple years was 408 dollars a month so i got two checks of 204 every two weeks so i made 408 dollars a month so i still played a lot in the in the evenings um I just saw opportunity. I just uh, saw people, you know, when you're a musician and you have to be scrappy, you have to, you know, yeah. your bread doesn't just get buttered for you because you showed up, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to work your ass off. And um, so I think that ethic kind of came through. And so, and then I did some very purposeful things. I bought the clothes like the guys wore that had the jobs I wanted. I just played the game a little bit. Yeah. It wasn't really like I was losing my identity. I was just trying to you know, move, move up a little move bit. Up, yeah. And then great mentors. Yeah. yeah. Great mentors, Dan Smith, you know, John Page, you know, these master builders and, and crafts people and, you know, guys that hand wound pickups and Abigail Yabara, who just retired after 57 years. Wow. These people, she's, she's the, the lady that wound all those pickups. Yeah. Right? Forever. Yeah. What if, at what point did she stop? It's been a few years back, but not 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 pretty recently. Yeah, she and she still was winding it, and she may be winding out of her home right now because we tried to set up like a retirement thing for her. Wow. I don't know where that w ever went, but um, we're very loyal to her because she was an unbelievably loyal uh, to the company. Yeah, it's a great company. It's a bunch of guitar people and. Um, the reputation, I think, from the outside, and and much of it, much of it earned through you know some odd interactions with people. But once you really get behind the veil, and uh, it's an unbelievably human company with with people that are well intended and yeah. and trying to do the best they can. What now? Now, where does Leo Fender fit in all this? <laughs> like, where does? I know we talked about it the day we're at the shop, um, but. Well, when Leo, that. when when the um, CBS transaction went down in '65, um, I think it's the same year they bought the the Mets, right? They paid like more for Fender than they did the Mets. Yeah. One of those investments, I think, yeah. probably turned out a little better. Yeah. Um, 
Leo went to do GNL guitars, and um, so we never had the right to Leo's name. We had the Fender brand registration, uh, but we didn't have rights to Leo's image or name. So hold it. So Leo did Leo sell Fender to CBS? Correct. And that's why they say pre-CBS. Is it pre? That's a big yeah, thing. Right? That's that. That okay. is a big thing. I, I've my opinion about that's changed a lot of, over the years, but. Um, Don Randall was Fender Sales, and Leo was, and, and his crew were the were the product side. Yeah. So I think it was it was it was a sale for both of them. I think they they got had some interest, and of course Don went on to do Randall amplification and all the different things he did. Yeah. Uh, and Leo went on to G and L, and Bill Schultz got the name Fender. That's it. And um, so we danced around Leo's name for many years. And uh, tried to be right by that by that agreement. Yeah. Did did you did you ever meet Leo? No, I never did. No. No. And what was his take on it all? I mean, his his name is so iconic. I mean, Leo Fender. And as an outsider who doesn't know a lot about it, but I always think of Leo Fender like kind of Les Paul. You know that. Is yeah. It different. I, you know, I don't know the man, but I, I've had to represent the company and tell the story so many times that I have a point of view about it. I I honestly feel people like Leo or people, you know, it's like the anatomy of a se- serial killer. Everybody wants to tear it apart and say why they're the way they are, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think he was thinking about changing the world. I don't think he was thinking about keeping track of what he was doing. He was always moving forward. He w- and so at the time, I think he had a big-ass check in his hand. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and uh, he had lost his wife, and Phil- he and Phyllis, his second wife, who was just a delightful le- woman that I, I see regularly. When You know, I say regularly. Get the opportunity to see her once or twice a year is, yeah. is great. She's an unbelievably vibrant woman. Uh, you can see why Leo was in, in love with her. Um, and you know, just keep the legacy. Yeah, keep the yeah. legacy alive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have his name, just the last name. We're just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so iconic. But was he, he? He was his thing just guitars. Like didn't Leo's? he do Music Man? Did when we involved oh, yeah. with them too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The amps. Yeah. And, right. and there was some stuff that he did with George Fullerton. Uh-huh. And Forrest White did some Forrest White. So he was doing guitars, guitars, amps, all the, all that stuff. Right? Yeah, Leo was an accountant by trade. Went to Fullerton College for wow. accountant, accountancy, I guess you call yeah. it. Uh, played saxophone a little bit, but wasn't. In, was just a huge mu- music fan. Had been, you know, it's not an overnight success story. He was fixing radios that his uncle gave him from an automotive repair shop that he had up in Sacramento or something, and repairing them as a hobby when he started the business it was in his parents house you know he you know he was born like many people at that time in california i was born at home and started his business at home and gradually you know went into business with doc kaufman to produce some instruments and uh doc kaufman uh got a little cold feet traded out and that's the K and F era. You'll find the lap steels and some amplifiers from the K and F era. And then Leo went on on his own. But it, it wasn't it wasn't an overnight sensation, you know. Like he got up one morning and right. shot the Stratocaster. <laughs> it didn't happen like that. Yeah, yeah. 
in the transition from lap steels, you really see it. When you look at a lap steel, then you look at a Telecaster, you're like, oh, this isn't that far-fetched. No, right. If you're looking at an acoustic or a, a Gibson you know, jazz box or something, maybe it's a little different. But when you're looking at a lap steel and you look at a Telecaster, you can kind of see how he got there. And we have all those first archival instruments. We've been able to repurchase our our history over the years. Wow. So we have some of those early K&F instruments. It's, so it's really was, interesting. Was it really like, because I think of Les Paul and Leo Fender, was it, they kind of polar opposites as in they just, they did Gibson and Fender. They designed those guitars and that was, that was their contribution. I mean, Les Paul did way more because he, he did the recording a, stuff yeah, too. Yeah, he was right? a, an innovator and a yeah. brilliant musician and everything else, yeah. But th they were kind of very, they were, Similar, but very different, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think what Leo did was bring the, his, his take on, on product, which was product should be serviceable. It should stay in service. Mm -hmm. you, know, you should be able to repair it and replace it. And that's where the bolt-on necks and, and you know, you know, using skilled labor, but not the level of craftsmanship that's required to make a neck joint on an L5 or something. You know, it's, right. it's a different skill set. Yeah. Um, and you could break the neck and replace it. And, you know, he had a different kind of a, a different point of view. And they're both brilliant in their own, yeah. right, in their own approach. Yeah. He was, he was an interesting, interesting guy. He was a fan. Yeah, yeah. I love the visuals of, of that post-war era, especially along the agricultural belt where you've got these bands similar to your psycho cowboy yeah. thing yeah. that you do. You had these swing bands uh, that were touring and they'd come into these small communities and people from all over would come to these shows and there'd be 2,000 people and they're on the back of a flatbed truck or something and yeah. it's, they're, playing their, they're playing their show. It's not the Hollywood thing where it's like everybody's got their Sunday best on and they're square dancing. It's like there's a lot of people yeah. in the middle of some field or venue and there's leo fender and he's standing there saying wow if i even move this way i can't hear the bass or the bass play you know i can't hear the upright bass at all and i think all this as a fan was just in his head so he started you know befriending the musicians and trying to make instruments that were interesting to, you know to them yeah yeah and he would wait in line till they're loading the bus just like people do today to come to you know come to your shows to meet you and he would be there to meet them and say, hey, I, I made this, you know, I made this guitar. What do you think about it? And that's really how it started. And even the later innovations, it's interesting how the history gets so kind of twisted. It's, you know, the precision bass was launched in 51 as well. There was no, there was no adoption worth even talking about for like 10 years with that instrument. But they just didn't give up on it. And un until some of the, some of the gospel and Motown guys got their hands on it and put their electric and put their acoustic basses down and picked it up. It, then it started taking off, but it, 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 was, it was a slow burn for a decade. And that's wow. one of our most innovative, coolest, yeah. modern musical, you know, that bass kicking, getting yeah, in, yeah, you know, yeah, it just changed everything. There, yeah.
yeah. speakers and guitar amplifiers and you know there were no there were no um you know the, what's that surround like rubber surrounds that that really give you the big excursion rates for the bass amps and that i mean there were public address speakers and leo engineers worked with people like james lansing to kind of come up with with you know new speakers designs and so he drove a ton of ton of innovation just a, bril a brilliant guy but that's kind of third of the story yeah the yeah. the story really the why is fender after 70 years still relevant why do people still give a shit it's because those things went into the hands of musicians yeah. who made music that people care about that changed the world right? and that body of work is just halos over us yeah um and as long as we keep that dialogue going does this work? Is this what you're talking about? You, you know, as long as we can do that and, uh, and keep young people grabbing these instruments and, and making new music that people care about, that cycle of relevance is complete. And it's the conversations with the guitar players, the entry-level guys and the best players on the planet that give shape you know, to the product development and everything else. So. Um, there's a lot of the innovations that we have, even just the relicking that you see on guitars today that, yeah. that the custom shop's kind of famous for. That's all from guys coming in like Don Waz and people like that going, I like your bass, but it's too shiny. <laughs> <laughs> right. I could never be seen on stage with such a shiny new thing. <laughs> and I think the, the guys over there just got clever and reproduced some of the nicks and... and burnishing of his favorite bass and yeah. put it in his hands and and then next thing you know it's it's like stonewashed jeans everybody wants everybody everybody wants right everybody's paying people to ruin their jeans for i pr i prefer to do it to yeah you've seen my guitar it's like pizza and cocaine <laughs> <laughs> eats the paint right off every time nitrocellulose if you add scotch to that nitrocellulose has yeah, no yeah. nothing to push back on yeah you. yeah <laughs> So you, you got into the position, how long have you been in the position you are now? What's the... What's <laughs> the position, assume the position. <laughs> well, he's been on the couch for about <laughs> yeah, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's feeling pretty good. Uh, I've been the executive vice president of Fender for a few years. I was yep. the senior vice president, chief product officer, and the CMO um, for about a decade before that. Right. I was the guitar guy before that, the amplifier guy before that, the audio guy before that oh, and wow. the small so parts guy before, before that. <laughs> so you've gone through the whole gamut of the company of different yeah i've worked in all the product areas yeah yeah and how have you seen fender change over the years it, I oh, mean, it's been i mean we were a small it's a 70 year old company but it's it was when i started it was a small small company yeah it's really you know had three kind of lives, you know, the, the Leo from, you know, till 65, 65 to 85, and then 80, 85 on. And so it was a very small company, small teams, talented people. Dan Smith uh, was really the guy that, that was the mentor and, and um, guitar-centric guy that Bill Schultz understood, you know, what was going wrong. You know, some of the guitars from the from the '80s are unbelievable. I mean, we've all had them, right? I mean, I was I was playing a Tokai reproduction or something because it was a better '62 Strat than the reissue Strat that that you know weighed 
you know, the guitars could weigh 10 pounds plus. They had yeah. a ton of lacquer. That said, Edge changed the world with one. Yeah. <laughs> Hendrix had no problem with them. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, CBS area, shit by crap. You know, right. it's like, well, be careful. Yeah. You know, and the old ones are worth a lot of money, but they're not that great. You know, there's some special, you know, th there are certainly some special guitars. Yeah. But I've seen so many 50s, you know, 54 strats and things like that that are, they look hand-carved almost. I mean, it was very different. The consistency was very different. You know, you, you, you see guys at like a sanding bench or something and they're, 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 they're not wearing shirts. They're smoking. There's like a 55-gallon <laughs> drum of acetate right next to them. And they're like, hey, what, do you wanna, what are you doing for lunch? I don't know. What do you want to do? They're, oh, shit, you know? Right. That neck comes out a little yeah, shape. It's a little different, different than the other one. And so they're, they're, the uniqueness of them are, is, um, I think, part of it. But uh, the guitars have, have all, all have something special about them. I'm proud of the work that we've done, though, in the last many years we really try the custom shop is unbelievable that, what they that's got to be a fun part of your job is like you getting to deal with all these huge players like who's who are some of the guys you i mean eric johnson he just did a model right or he's got a model we just coming did another out. one we just uh i don't think it's that big of a secret because he's blogging about it it's yep. a thin line stratocaster which is kind what? of interesting thin line so it's a semi-hollow oh okay. strat but it all still has the body contours and stuff, so we never could figure that out. But today we've figured out how to do it. So yeah. it still has the arm contour, the belly contour that's nice for for longer gigs, and um, but it's semi hollow. So Eric Johnson, Eric Clapton, um, Richie Blackmore, you know John. Um, <laughs> he broke up with us though. So John who? Uh, mayor, yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, but uh, he broke up with you. Well, we had a signature model. Was it something uh, you said? Uh, it was, <laughs> I think it was something we did. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they, all these cats that come in and have these signature, how are some of them just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's good enough, or some of them, most of them, really on board, like anal about it. Yeah, more B than A. Okay, so um, they're, they're pretty pretty on top of it it all depends there are guys that are like you ask them the question so what kind of bot wood would you like the body to be made out of and they're like guitar wood you know like, <laughs> right they got no, they got no idea no idea i want blue wood <laughs> right and then other guys like eric johnson you know have an unbelievable you know, we produce the Van Halen stuff too, the EVH brand stuff. I mean, he's another guy that hears stuff that people don't hear, you know. Yeah. Um, so, Eric, we made many, 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 many sets of pickups for Eric before he landed on the ones he wanted. But right. That, that instrument pushed our regular, you know, USA production, increased our capabilities. You know, projects like that make you better. Yeah, and yeah. so you can thank guys like that for some of some of the innovation and, and evolution. Yeah, I imagine Eric's pretty detailed oriented. You know. Yeah, it's. It you know guitars are weird. They're fashion. They're you know. Yeah. They're, you know if you if you ask Ingve, you know why do you play a white guitar? It's like 
I always wear black. I couldn't <laughs> see the guitar if I didn't want to play a white guitar. That's a silly question, you know. So it's fashion and it's all the interesting, you know, elements of technique and. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, dealing with Ingvay would be a trip. I imagine that's a trip. I love the guy. I think, you know, he gets his own joke. He's yep. a supremely talented guy. Oh, my God, yeah. He's the last man standing, and he was such an inspirational thing. You don't get it until you go someplace with him. Yeah. Go to a NAMM show or something and walk across the parking lot with the guy, and uh, people run, run yep. at him. He has an unbelievably loyal fan base, and, you know. He's, I didn't know he was that big. He's very popular. He's like he's no global... big as in stature. Oh, like physically, he's, yeah. Physically, no, he's I a saw him at Nam, and I was like, oh my god, I, I yeah. feel like I just saw Elvis. I mean, he had that yeah. whole vibe going on. You know, he's a he, he's a great guy. Loves tennis. That's one of the things that he and I always. Um, he's another another tennis. He had a beautiful tennis court on his property, but he wasn't using it because he had a wallaby in it. What? Yeah. So that's a longer story that Ingve should probably tell. But yeah, he ended up getting rid of the wallaby and <laughs> and playing tennis on the. Yeah. Where's he live? In Florida. He is in Florida. We yeah. had we had a a listener, and I'm sure they're listening right now. But they keep writing like, I was at my super supermarket in Florida the other day, and I keep running into Ingve at the yeah. supermarket. I don't yeah. know if he's bullshitting me or telling the truth, but no, he runs his son to school and stuff, and he's a he's a family guy. He's a he's an you know he's a friend. He's an extraordinarily talented, nice guy. Yeah, and you know people, everybody has their their he's thing. A, you know, the, another thing that people don't realize too is the that level of professionalism. It doesn't matter if that guy's doing a half hour clinic, you know, appearance or something. He will rehearse. Set up, sound check, go through the whole thing with a meticulous detail to make sure that you know that whoever's there is going to get the full on experience. And I know a lot of guys that don't do that. Right. <laughs> just pretty just much just in, right? phone it in. Yeah. But this year we worked with uh, Brad Paisley, who's also just a marvelous I'm a guitar huge player. Paisley fan. Did a really innovative guitar w- with him that yeah. weighs you know barely weighs over six pounds. Beautiful telecaster. You know, I I finally got to play one and. I almost felt like I didn't have my the money's worth in my hand because mm-hmm. it was so light. Yeah, it's so light. It was like, is yeah. this real? It was it ridiculous light. Are it you guys going to put great. a G-Bender in it? You don't know? I don't know. You know, that's Polonia in the middle. It's really soft, and then it's and it's got some hardwood shells on it. Yeah. That's how it, they get the lightweight. Um, and, and you have to, like, really... That's a that's a lot of routing on a guitar. What's that? You reef on a B bender. There's a lot of pressure on it. I mean, how would you how would you fix that harness into it if the screws would pop out? Yeah, right. Of soft wood, right? Yeah, I mean that whole big ass mechanism. I mean, I mean, I've been with Scott. You know, when he's got his guitars and there's like ten of them and he's weighing them and he's playing them and you know it's like a whole thing. Yeah, Yeah. I've watched that. Yeah, what a Richie Blackmore. Yes. Did you work with him? I did. How was he? Because he He's, just seems like a really interesting cat. He is a very interesting guy, and he is, you know, I'm 60 next year. I mean, uh, Deep Purple, I, you know, that was just so influential. So I was nervous about meeting him. Um, he really doesn't really care about Deep Purple. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I tried for several years to get his, he had a really interesting strat, you know, with, with like a 
dummy load pickup in the middle and you know he had some cool cool stuff some of the scalloping the early stuff and and so I worked for for several years to get a contract with him but he was doing his um, Blackmore's Night with his wife Candace. Is that the medieval kind of shit? That is the dance like a druid yeah, right. thing. Yeah. 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 So I was making like amps with canvas cover and stuff for him at the time. Uh, an unbelievably nice, unbelievably nice guy yeah. who would talk very comfortably, you know, when I'd ask real fanboy questions. We were at dinner in Long Island, and I asked him if, um, you know, about lazy. And he said, oh, that was an old, like, fiddle. That was like an old folk fiddle riff. And I just kind of, like, borrowed it and messed around with it and stuff. And just really easy to talk to about that, but really was not interested in what he had done, you know, as Richie Blackmore, the, the deep purple guy, rainbow guy. You know, it was, yeah. it was all about, you know, the Roush Fife and... That thing, <laughs> you know, lutes and and silly hats, you know. Right. Is, so he, he doesn't buy into any of it. I'll tell you the, the great story, actually. So we're leaving a restaurant. Now picture Richie, right? Picture the hair, the mustache, right? The, the pencil mustache, the black hair to about here, you know, uh, collar length hair. And we're walking out of the restaurant, and a, a busboy chases us down or a waiter or something excuse me excuse me sir he chases us out of the restaurant and richie turns around and he goes were you in black sabbath <laughs> really <laughs> yes uh, and so i'm waiting right yeah. i'm just waiting and, and i'm adding it up i'm like i could get that you know right, it's like yeah. no i wasn't but my hair and mustache were no he won't answer that <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and he just looked at the guy and said sure <laughs> and turned around and walked away and i was just like wow a day in the life of richie blackmore you yeah. know are you tony iomi no 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 no, no yeah oh my no. god how many times do you get that right pretty interesting but a very nice band who uh you know super influential for for rock guitar players right? a monster clapton have you worked with clapton much by the time i came into the scene um eric worked a lot with dan smith mm-hmm um, Dan's son Jason still works for us, builds in the custom shop. Um, no, I deal with layers of attorneys. <laughs> wow. so it's like wow. layers. Yeah. Um, but he is, uh, he's still very, you know, supportive. And we did it, the tweed versions of, of his amps, the um, tweed twins and and deluxes and champs and that very cool very cool amplifiers his guitar has always been a great seller people enjoy it the active is there a, active a, assembly. a signature model that sells at sells everything no signature models are least, i mean uh, sorry artist selling models. models artist models of the artist signature artist, artist um models. over they change over the years but the clapton's probably the long runner ingve's you know ingve and clapton were the first two signature models now depending on who you talk to one of them you know one guitar took longer than the other whatever but those were the the first guys that was the 30 30 years now so 30th anniversary of of but still the telly and the strat or the you know what happened yes it's been the telly and and the strat and it was pretty frustrating and i kept trying to change uh, new silhouettes and and get things going 
when I was the guitar product guy, we sold 400 Jaguars and 400 Jazzmasters a year. And when I did the, my budgets and forecasts and all that, it was real easy. 400, you know, <laughs> candy apple red, sunburst, yeah. you know, a couple painted head caps for those because the phone's going to ring. Then I got a phone call one day from Justin Norvell, who is, who is, who is my successor as the, the chief product guy at Fender. And uh, he called me from South by Southwest and said, well, dude, I got good news and bad news. I'm like, well, give me the bad news first. And he said, nobody's playing a Strat. And I was thinking to myself, how could there be any fucking good news? Nobody's <laughs> 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 playing a Strat, you know? Um, and, uh, he, and I'm like, well, give me the good news. And he goes, everybody's playing like a modified Jaguar or Jazzmaster through a Silverface amp. Okay, Silverface amps, you know, to the snobs, you know, mm -hmm. the pre-CBS pre guys, the silver faces, oh my gosh, junk. If, you, if you're thinking about Zodiac series, if you remember right. some of the first solid state yeah, amps, yep. but most of, most, of the, most of the tube amps, the circuits didn't change because there was a contract sign. It took years before that stuff changed. So 65 is pretty much like a 67. It's pretty, you know, for the most part. And uh, so... I forgot where I was. Where were we, <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, Brain surgery. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden, now today, that silhouette, that body shape is a big business. I don't know how many units we do. And, you know, we're a private company, so we don't talk about this stuff, but a lot. Wow. And it's an extraordinary popular guitar these days. And you've, and you've got, you know, people like Ed O'Brien, mm -hmm. you know, that are... The, the new kind of uh, guitarist, which is a more textural, you know, the virtuosity thing is it ebbs and flows in guitar. And at this point, it's, it's much more about sonic landscapes and, and things like that. So uh, Jaguars and Jazzmasters are, are just have been unbelievably popular. And then the, the student models, things like the Duosonics and Mustangs and uh, instruments like that have been come very popular as well so we improved them and made them actually playable and they're short scale fun really cool guitars that you can get into for like 500 dollars yeah yeah some yeah. of your stuff is i mean when i was a kid you'd have to pay a lot of money to get something decent and now yeah i mean that's what's for really a beginner different. you can pick up <laughs> such a cheap guitar and it's it's fine it's, it's amazing what you can get <laughs> for our $99, $199. I think a Mustang in the 70s was probably $250, $270. And it had the tremolo that, to, that guaranteed that you couldn't play in tune and stuff. You know? <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, used Strat was maybe $400 or something. I used Les Paul. You get a gold top for, for $400. Bucks. Yeah. You know, that was like an entry, you know, getting, getting a used guitar. Today it's like $99, $199. There's Squire products that are just amazing. There's a bunch of guys out there, kind of the the um, frugal ob obsessives that that buy the Squires, then you know put in you know li Lindy Fralin pickups or yeah. Bartolini systems if it's a bass, and they, they and they they supercharge these you know two hundred dollar guitars. It's amazing. Well, I guess if you're going to go out in the road, why take your sixty whatever Strat out? 
when those, you just do that and I think those guys are you know you can you can get replacements for that these are the guys that that record and they're guitar players but they Right, okay. But but they also want a bass or yeah. you know third or fourth guitar for some some people. Um, I mean, Fenders are still you know unless you're in the custom shop and really designing something specific, you know that's still a great value. It's my my gosh. I mean, you can buy anywhere from five hundred dollars up. I think a pro level type guitar is probably you know thirteen fourteen hundred dollars today. Yeah. That's that's not bad. Yeah. Les Paul's going to cost you, you know, 3000 or 2800 or, well, this week, who knows? But, yeah. you know, still, it's... Uh, and it's pretty much has been, like, Les Paul, I mean, Gibson and Fender. Like, they're kind of the two iconic, right? Well, right? oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like North, North, North and South. Yeah, you know, like you're a, Gibson, and you're a Gibson guy or a Fender guy. That's kind of always been... The thing. Yeah. And Gibson don't seem to be doing that well. Am I wrong? Well, it ebbs and right. If you believe what you're reading, ebbs and flows. I yeah. Mean, I think that. What a, I mean, what a great brand. If you need a Gibson, only a Gibson will do. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. need a Fender, you know, get a Fender. If you yeah. need something else, you know, there's. It's so subjective, right? And and tone and feel and it's it's such a personal thing. But it's a great brand, and I know a lot of people that work there, and they love the brand, and so you know, just yeah. Oh God, I love my my old Gibsons are great, man. Those are great guitars. Yeah, and they're like an investment portfolio too. Well, Some I wouldn't ones. go that far, but you have the wrong ones, or what? Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that much. You play that. those ones with the L's and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, and they're like '60s. Yeah. Like 60s, early 70s. Something. I mean, th and those are instruments that you, you know, Selmer, Mark, for you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, those are those are those are instruments that have a huge body of work, and I think that's what it really comes down to. It's like, yeah, you know, are they are they in inspirational because of the body of work that yeah. they created? And, yeah. and now, uh, what about what about say? I mean, definitely, probably in the last. I don't know how many years, but the, the boutique mm. guitar makers and guitar yeah. app makers. I mean, you it's know, awesome. we've got people like Sir and Bogner and all these different guys that are coming up who are taking, almost taking some of the Fender stuff to the next level in their direction that they take it. Sure. How has that as a how has that affected you guys in? Because you guys are covering beginners to to pro, right? With I guess people like Sir and that they're. More pro, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a very they... refined taste. You yeah, know, players Scott is not going to walk typically walk into a music store and yeah just grab stuff. But you have in the past maybe played performance I or I had a I had a uh, reissue ninety two. I did that album Dog Party with a Fender. It was like a um, I guess it was a ninety two re no it was a. 60 something reissue that was made in 90 it was a 62 reissue the rosewood yeah right the rosewood right. it was made in 92 and i did i'm one of those guys i put lindy fraylin pickups on yeah it. yeah because at that time um i didn't know john then but at that time lindy fraylin's were the kind of they had those woodstock pickups they were they were nice you know they, they were, were nice that really sweet stevie ray kind of thing yeah yeah and um and but then when when i met john and he was working at the custom shop. Yeah, he's brilliant. Brilliant I, builder. Yeah. Him, and yep. he made me a Fender, you know, yep. just a, a Strat. 
and it was way better than my reissue strat because yeah. of course it, he made it in the custom shop yeah. exactly like i wanted it yeah and then so when he started his own company i just went with him yeah and i was his first endorser uh, he's a talent he's a talented yeah, guy yeah he's a, we had him on the show he was he's, he's a fun guy and he's got cool, some cool amps but, and a, yeah. you know some you know seiki goto worked for yeah. us for years and oh so yeah we have, oh i know yeah, yeah. sure yeah so She's i worked with yeah. worked with seiki for yeah. many many years yeah um so our attitude, our culture inside is, is for me, that what I try to project is there's enough for everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it is, and, and we live in a very fragmented age. And, and this is, it's a fragmented world. Everyone has a unique need that requires a, a, a unique solution. And so what you see now is, you know, in a, in a global in this global catalog that we have with the with the web and stuff, people are able to to really seek out their what's what's special and unique if they that they want to you know brand themselves with. Yeah. And so, I think there's a there's a point of view where you can look at it, and I'll admit, you know, I'm more excited when I see somebody do something f fresh that's really cool, and people are because it's just like you, you guys. I mean, we've been looking at the same thing. For a long time, right? Um, but I mean, we have a—it's a family, and guys like John Page, Jay Black—you know—they make guitars today. They worked for us for years, and and we're better for having guys like John Sir work for us. We all we all learn from each other, and yeah, yeah. so I've heard those names. I've heard John mention those names, though those, I've never met those guys. Those, but John talks about them all. Those the time. Those guys are just first class, sure. super talented guys. Yeah. And you have to remember, this brand was just like not happening, you know. And Bill Schultz is—you got to give him credit for putting it back into the hands of guitar players, even to the point, you know, for during my era. You know, I've always had the the right. You know, I've always had the card that I can just throw. That says stop, stop it, stop production. Yeah. Don't ship another thing. Don't ship one more guitar. And unfortunately, we've had to do that a few times because we're making guitars for global consumption. The right. custom shop is one thing, but yeah. you know, we're making over a million guitars a year, yeah, or, wow. or or sourcing, and some years a lot more than that. And so it's, um, you know. He put guitar players back in charge versus value engineering and stuff like CBS did, which is how you ended up with pop metal bridges and right. guitars that just weren't. Which, which is one of the reasons that um, I guess I went to Sir because you, could, you couldn't get, at that time, you couldn't get what I wanted on a stock fender yeah, you'd have exactly. to get it at the custom shop exactly but but the thing is is even though i play a sir i'm still using like a vintage vintage fender bridge which you can Absolutely. only get from fender and, <laughs> and if know, i if like, i remember we su supply you supply john with those bridges yeah, yeah. because my like, signature model sir it wouldn't be my signature model unless i it had a vintage Fender bridge because right. I still believe that's the best sounding bridge. It is there absolutely is. So, the so, best. So you know, a regular six screw bridge, that's totally right. old school. Though yeah. we've modified it a little bit to make it stay in tune better. Yeah, but, yeah. But but um, and we we take the um, you guys. I don't know why this. Maybe you can answer this because it's a weird thing. But for a, for a while, you guys have been powder coating the blocks, mm -hmm. and. That doesn't do very much for the tone. It it, it kind of when the when there's a layer of powder coating between the block and the plate, 
it doesn't sound as good as when it's just bare steel. So I just take the block off and put it in a vise and get one of those <laughs> nylon paint sanders and Absol just sand the you paint know, off of it. Till that's it's the first steel. time I've I've yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. But I'm not surprised yeah. by it because those yeah. are the things. It all matters actually, and people are that's like, "It's a little thing, but it but makes like." A difference. Uh, one star in the sky is one thing, two, three, four, but you start putting all that together. Yep. You know, I'm going to take that one back. That's very interesting because I can't answer it. I don't well, know why the they old, do that. The old bridges were just, well, I'm, I'm sure they do it so it doesn't rust. Yeah. Because the old, if you look at the old strats, you know, the bridge, oh, the blocks nasty. are all rusty and yeah, everything. They, they probably don't want them to rust. But when they put a thick layer sure, of, it, of. It's it, it bound. It's, it's bound. I've really done some extensive. Yeah testing where like you know put a block on play these same notes with the same i'm pretty meticulous about you know nah, don't touch the don't touch the yeah. tone knob, you know <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. and now you know take the bridge off you know sand all the paint off the block put it back on put it all back together and play those same two notes and it's like oh it opens up it opens up yeah i i, it, I believe you yeah, yeah it's just a little thing you know you might not even notice it in the tracks but it's a thing. It's it, and and guys that hear what they hear, they have that point of view. And you know, I've I've had guys that tell me there's a little spot that, where the finish is rubbed off completely through the wood. They're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, don't fix that. That's like, right, right. That's right. it's my sound is better with it. Um, the cus that's why the custom shop is in business is to try to meet the needs of, of players yeah. that have a really like you guys. I'm looking at two of the guys that have a pretty high level of execution and, and playing and the things that matter to a beginner a, a moderate a blues hack a whatever versus you know the type of expression that you guys are are going for out of a guitar it takes a lot more intimacy it, there there's some actual you know uh physical things you know stylistically and so you get into the compound radii you get into that type that's of stuff that's another thing about the sirs it's kind of a hybrid between a Fender and a Gibson in a way mm, because mm -hmm. because the the body and the pickups are are Fender, but the neck is the radius is a little bit flatter, so mm -hmm. and big frets like yeah. Gibson frets. Yeah. So it's kind of like a Strat that's a little easier for me to play because I have a hard time um, with real high action. You know, like on a regular Fender, if the action's not high enough, then if you bend far it frets out because the frets are small well yeah so, especially on the vintage yeah. right the, but yeah on the vintage it's ones, really yeah. bad so, you've got so, a seven and a quarter radius and a tiny fret you can't bend at all yeah you can't yeah. bend much so know, now so. We're, we're doing the comp we're, yeah. we do compound radii on the fretboard yeah, we also do compound now. back right. shapes oh yeah we yeah. just started doing that this year do you which do a d shape yeah we do a d shape oh, and cool. we do a d to a modified c so we've got we've got some different compound back yeah. shapes as well i use a d shape that's why D shapes have always been more comfortable for me yeah, than more C's as for some reason. Asymmetrical. I, I like less wood behind the neck and more wood on the sides. Yeah. You know, it's just personal taste. Yeah. I, I doubt if there's any tone difference, but it, you know. I did notice one time I, I tried one of those Jeff Beck mm. um, signature models. Yes. And, you know, it's got the huge neck. The huge first, neck, right? the first it's ones. A that makes it's a better now. In the tone, I oh, that's a... Think. Oh, there's, yeah, man. There's mass there, right? Look at those sides of the headstock, man. You know, makes with, with arch tops. Yeah. How, how, you know, D'Angelico and yeah. all those guys. Mm -hmm. The headstock was like magic to them. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even the difference between a 60s, you know, a a larger Strat headstock. Ingve, I'll tell you part of his sound is the the fact that he plays the larger Mm -hmm. 70s headstocks. And a lot of people like the larger headstocks on the Strats. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's so subjective. There's so many, you know, 35 years ago or so, there was such an explosion any whatever Fender wasn't doing right, whatever Gibson wasn't doing right, gave birth to unbelievable amount of companies from Charvel and Performance and you know <laughs> right. all these brands, oh, and Kramer the, and, and, and Ibanez, Ibanez uh, and, yes, and Yamaha and yes. all them coming in. And, it it know, just really created that lawsuit era for Gibson. What I mean, happened? Oh, yeah. that, how is it that Fender was able to trademark? the headstock mm-hmm. but not the body i always wondered about that yeah so <laughs> that was i was the guy that was deposed for that <laughs> sorry, oh, wow. that's like, okay don't, don't want to bring up any bad <laughs> it's okay it's another great fender story <laughs> he's still there though six <laughs> days still there. Wow. six days i was deposed